Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, November 18th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guests, Dr. Judy Mikovits and Kent Heckenlively. Dr. Judy Mikovits holds a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from George Washington University. In her 35-year quest to understand and treat chronic diseases, she has studied natural product chemistry, immunobiology of retroviral-associated inflammatory diseases, epigenetics, AIDS, and cancer, stem cell biology, and drug development with the goal to understand complex biological issues in order to yield unbiased, integrated, cutting-edge diagnostics and treatments for patients and physicians impacted by some of the most challenging chronic diseases. Dr. Mikovits was the director of the Lab of Antiviral Drug Mechanisms at the National Cancer Institute before leaving to direct the cancer biology program at Epigenics Pharmaceuticals. In 2006, she became attracted to the plight of patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, referred to as myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and autism. And Dr. Mikovitz is primarily responsible for demonstrating the relationship between immune-based inflammation and these diseases. She has published over 50 scientific papers. Kent Heckenlively is a science instructor and an attorney. Kent has worked for U.S. Senator Pete Wilson and for the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco. Our topic today, on the release date, the book, Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases, which is published by Skyhorse Publishing. Welcome, Judy and Kent. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Terry. Dr. Mikovits, let's begin with you. You are an experienced, trained immunobiologist, and you have studied factors causative to myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome, which became pandemic in the 1970s. What was the medical landscape like for sufferers of this before you made the connection between myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and a retrovirus? And please explain what a retrovirus is. Well, Terry, um, before we made the connection with the retrovirus, um, at that time the retrovirus XMRV, A retrovirus is um, an RNA virus which has what's called a reverse transcriptase that reverse transcribes its RNA genome into DNA and then it inserts itself into your DNA genome where it can live forever and be expressed whenever the genes where it was inserted are expressed. So it stays with the host forever, um, unlike other RNA viruses. Um, the medical landscape for sufferers of MECFS before the connection to XMRV, I should mention that um, ret- I was not the first to connect retroviruses to MECFS. Um, 
it was it was actually connected uh, 20 years earlier, almost 20 years earlier, 1991, um, uh, by a group including um, Elaine DeFridis was the, uh, the author of that paper, and Paul Cheney, David Bell, in, in two cohorts. Um, at that time, uh, similar things happened to her career that we that happened to my career, and we'll discuss it later. Where um, the the um, the disease was, uh, or the, the viral connection was um, uh, called contamination by um, questionable methods and statistics, um, and the disease was uh, quickly um, banished to a medical um, landscape that was basically psychosomatic. The disease was shunted off to the Office of Women's Health, um, considered just a, a women's disease of, of um uh, essentially uh, maladaptive behaviors to psychological stressors. Absolutely horrible medical landscape. That is uh, the same type of marginalization that with which many of us are familiar. Have you found, Dr. Mikovits, evidence that sufferers of myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome show evidence of altered gene expression probable from epigenetic or environmental influence? Oh, absolutely. As as part of these studies, um, that those types of uh, gene expression changes and and altered, um, it, it's called DNA methylation, the epigenetics, um, which which are hallmarks to what we see in autism and other neuroimmune diseases, including CFS. Was what what attracted me to the disease, and initially it was Jonathan Kerr's work that I saw in two thousand and seven. I I just entered the the, the fray in 2006, um, and and they and saw saw all the evidence of environmental uh, stressors, heavy metal toxicities, organophosphate uh, toxicities. All of uh, these types of environmental insults will alter gene expression, um, um, primarily through epigenetic changes, which is the good news because those are theoretically reversible and can be treatable. Um, we've had many years of treating um, altered epigenetic changes in cancer and, and uh, HIV-AIDS. Well, that at least is hopeful. Uh, can you, uh, when you learned of the work of Judy Mikovits, what intrigued you? You know, what intrigued me, Terry, is that it suddenly made a great deal of sense because um, after I had uh, read about her interview on Nevada Newsmakers, I then did a little bit of research on uh, retroviruses, and I found out that if you look at the retroviral field, and especially HIV, you find out that um, any um, stimulation of the immune system can cause retroviral replication. I think what was really dramatic for me was I called up um, UCSF, their HIV department, and I talked to a press person there, and I was simply sketching out the bare bones of this idea, and this person immediately said, wow, that would make sense why a vaccination would cause uh, autism in a susceptible child who had a retrovirus because we know that immune stimulation will cause the retrovirus to replicate. And the comparison was made to HIV, that a child who's born with HIV needs to go immediately on antiretrovirals prior to any vaccinations. And because the the act of stimulating the immune system may cause retroviral replication leading to AIDS. So if you make the analogy 
that these kids may be born with a retrovirus leading to, um, to autism through certain uh, immune stimulations, it, it really fits like a glove. And so that, the fact that that happened so quickly just made me think, this is a huge story and this needs to get out. Well, good for you for that uh, bit of investigatory intuition there. This is a good time to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel to continue this fascinating discussion. And we will be right back with Kent Heckenlively and Dr. Judy Mikovits. Please stay tuned. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you had your CBD today? CBD, or cannabidiol, is a natural part of hemp oil that's making headlines in 2014. Hemp Meds is the world's trusted source for CBD-rich hemp oil because they see total body care as a necessity, not a luxury. Hemp Meds offers premium CBD-rich hemp oils in a variety of ways, from natural hair and skin care to herbal supplements and lifestyle products. And CBD-rich hemp oil is available right now in all 50 states. Quality begins with non-GMO industrial hemp cultivars, grown on family farms using no pesticides, herbicides, or toxic fertilizers. Only with Hemp Meds are you guaranteed consistent, quality, natural CBD-rich hemp oil from Healthy Hemp. There are so many different ways to enjoy CBD-rich hemp oil from Hemp Meds. The only question we have for you is... Have you had your CBD today? By making some important changes in your life, you can move forward from where you are to where you wish to be. It is becoming the change you want to see. It can be a sort of experiment, if you will. On Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time, your host, Dr. Serena Wadhwa, will introduce you to ideas that can help improve your health, relationships, and finances. You probably have at least one part of your life that needs improving. Make an appointment now to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. No matter what stage of life you're in, it's not too late to start thinking about and improving your overall health. Listen for Spread Your Wings and Fly Into Health with host Jennifer Tolo. Our show is all about topics that adults, teens, and communities can relate to. Our guest experts will talk about nutrition, fitness, stress management, health care, and disease management. We'll answer your questions, too. Spread your wings and fly into health. Join us every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back on the release date of the book Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases, which is published by Skyhorse Publishing. We are with the authors, Kent Heckenlively and Dr. Judy Mikovits. Kent, you've probably also read Hillary Johnson's book titled Osler's Web, which was published in 1996 and then in 2006, and in fact, 
Hillary has written the foreword for your book, Plague. Ken, I want to read you a couple of quotes from the foreword, and then I'd appreciate hearing your point of view insofar as comparing what's in those quotes to autism and any other similarities in the politics faced by chronic fatigue patients in relation to the politics faced by autism families. And here's the quote. In 1988, a small group of worried scientists and research clinicians met to discuss the disease and its origins in Newport, Rhode Island. Charles Carpenter, professor of medicine at Brown University Hospital, noted, quote, We're seeing something that wasn't there in the 50s and 60s. Most of us feel this is new. If this had been going on in the 50s and 60s, even if we had discarded it as psychiatric, it would have been written about, and it's not in the literature. And that suggests there is a dominant agent that's driving the disease, end quote. Another doctor, Paul Cheney, agreed, quote, how could we have possibly missed this disease for all these years? he asked, although a large number of patients are subtle and may not be that sick, there are a significant number of patients who are really quite incredible, and I just can't believe the medical profession could have watched this, missed this, for decades or millennia. It's too striking, end quote. And also from the book, Quote, by 2009, when Mikevitz appeared on the scene, ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis, was a disease with a shocking history of neglect that rose to the level of government-sanctioned human rights violations perpetuated upon millions around the world. Patients were denied not merely medical care, payouts on disability claims, and the emotional support that might have been forthcoming from family and friends had they suffered from a real disease, they had been thoroughly disenfranchised and subjected to ridicule and abuse from all quarters. If they were children, they were denied education. Adults and children were, on occasion, incarcerated in psychiatric institutions against their wills, a ghastly outcome resulting in at least some well-documented cases, their deaths. The spiral into years and decades of poverty that frequently accompanied onset of the disease was perhaps the most intolerable outcome of all. Ken, it just gives you chills and makes you want to cry, doesn't it? I, I know while reading it, it gives me chills. What are your thoughts? You know, Terry, I'm really glad you read that section because I thought that section was so very important. You know, as an autism advocate for these past couple of years, um, what it seems has seemed like to me is that the, there's a, a playbook that the scientific and medical community is working off of. And as I started digging into this story, it became clear to me that the techniques of that playbook had been deployed first against the MECFS community. Um, it was just shocking to me to find that not only were the same techniques being used, but the scientists and researchers who I feel have been responsible for blocking a lot of the research into autism were the same names popping up in, the, in blocking the research into MECFS. So it really seemed to me that 
if you had the same techniques being used and you had a number of the same bad guys involved, that there had to be some commonality between these two diseases and something that really terrified um, the medical and scientific community that they didn't want to have get out. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, like Abe Lincoln was, that if you give the people the facts, then they will make their own decisions and, you know, they will make good decisions. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to put together an objective fact-based story um, on what is going on, what happened to Dr. Mikovits, who in my mind is one of the great heroes of our age, and, um, and let's get this thing moving in the right direction. And so, Kent, you've just mentioned reasons that the book Plague is, is of such historical and current importance, and I like your observation that this playbook has been used before, and we need to learn from that. We need to be informed by that. Let's go back to the beginning of the book, Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases. It starts out like one of the most harrowing of medico-legal mystery thrillers, with Dr. Mikovits being arrested in 2011. But before we talk about 2011, let's go back to some pivotal events in 2009. In 2009, a landmark article by Dr. Mikovits and colleagues appeared in the highly prestigious research journal Science. This article linked the new human retrovirus to myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. Then Dr. Mikovits appeared on Nevada Newsmakers. Dr. Mikovits bravely addressed the controversial disease labeled autism, and here is the dialogue as presented in the book Plague. Quote, It's not in the paper and it's not reported, Mikovits said, speaking hesitantly at first, but we've actually done some of these studies and we found the virus present in a number, in a significant number of autistic samples that we've tested so far. The show's host noted that this news had tremendous potential for the autism community, holding out the possibility that this might lead to treatment or even a cure. Mikovits replied by saying XMRV might be, quote, linked to a number of neuroimmune diseases, including autism. It certainly won't be all because there are genetic defects that result in autism, but there are also the environmental effects, end quote. Then, barely taking a breath, she crossed the Rubicon. Quote, there's always the hypothesis that my child was fine. Then they got sick, and then they got autism. Interestingly, on that note, if I might speculate a little bit, this might explain why vaccines lead to autism in some children, because these viruses live and divide and grow in the lymphocytes, the immune response cells, the B and T cells. So when you give a vaccine, you send your B and T cells in your immune cells into overdrive. That's its job. Well, if you're harboring one virus and you replicated a whole bunch, you've now broken the balance between the immune response and the virus. So you could have had the underlying virus and then amplified it with that vaccine and then set off the disease. 
such that your immune system could no longer control other infections and created an immune deficiency. End quote. If these children were harboring a retrovirus, it wasn't an outlandish claim to make. It has long been established that children born to HIV-infected mothers shouldn't be immunized until they're on antiviral, antiretroviral drugs, and their tests show the virus to be at an extremely low level. Wow. Dr. Mikovits, we've just heard an explanation of why it would be biologically plausible that a retrovirus could be involved with autism. Please also explain the biological plausibility of a retrovirus causing the symptoms of myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, well, Terry, it's exactly the same in, in the moms and the families as in the kids. Uh, just as Kent mentioned earlier, um, the hypothesis which led me even to think about autism was um, basic um, uh, immune susceptibility, that is, defects in, in the immune system, particularly in RNA cell and your natural killer cells. Your very front line of defense um, had been known to be defective in the autistic kids as well as in uh, the MECFS um, moms, families. It was the families we saw um, when we looked in, at, at moms with CFS and, and kids with autism or autism spectrum disorder, um, and, and we frequently saw other things such as cancer in the families. So the plausibility is that a susceptibility, an underlying either epigenetic or genetic that defects in, in degradation of RNA virus pathways, um, exactly the patient population where XMRV was discovered, that is in men with um, RNA cell defects who were getting aggressive prostate cancer at very young ages. So the plausibility of a retrovirus causing symptoms across what seem to be disparate diseases, uh, autism, chronic fatigue syndrome, and cancer um, makes absolute perfect sense if you consider um, the uh, immune biology of the situation. So we've been talking about how this pandemic of CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, showed up in the latter part of the 20th century in the 1900s, and you mentioned earlier uh, epigenetic changes. You've mentioned heavy metals, um, organophosphate toxicity. Where would the chronic fatigue patients have derived a retrovirus? Well, well, retroviruses where where all people, all men, um, fam, humans derive retroviruses um, are are from from environments. As we know from from HIV, AIDS, um, they're derived from other animal retroviruses. Uh, all animals have retroviruses, um, and when they're expressed, they can be expressed as replication competent retroviruses, um, uh, and so they can actually. It's called zo they can actually jump from animals into humans. And, and as we know here, it's very timely thinking about Ebola, which is also an RNA virus. Um, in the last 50 years, 
RNA viruses are the are the are the big pathogen. Eighty to ninety percent of all the new uh, pathogens and viruses coming into emerging in humans are actually RNA viruses. So again, if you have a an inability to degrade or or um, control with your immune system these RNA viruses, then you're susceptible to not clearing them, which is the job of of the um, of the immune of a healthy immune system. So heavy metals, um, all of the environmental toxins, glyphosates, GMOs, they all suppress the immune system, cause aberrant gene expression, even of one's own endogenous retroviruses. And so those retroviruses and retroviral elements can can actually recombine and cause new infectious um, agents that then infect humans. So um, it's it's a perfect storm, really, of um, a susceptible human population to viruses that are entering through through zoonosis um, and from the environment. Okay, so you've mentioned heavy metals suppressing the immune system. You've mentioned the fact that we could have endogenous viruses, but you also mentioned animal retroviruses jumping from animals to human. Now, if I'm right, if I'm walking down the street, how does an animal retrovirus jump into me? Uh, I'm sorry, that that was a bad that was a uh, bad term. I shouldn't say jumping. So, so zoonosis it's it's usually eating uncooked foods. It's it's blood, body fluids, meats, tissues that express these viruses. So, in the case, you know, nobody really knows how how the zoonosis occurs. But what we learned, unfortunately, from the study of XMRV, is that these viruses can um, can jump into human cells in a laboratory that is culturing um, animal cells. So if we culture animal cells, and we've done a lot of research in um, XMRV means xenotropic mouse leukemia virus related virus. So that name means xenotropic means it was found in humans. MLV is murine leukemia virus. It's a virus known to cause leukemia in mice. So we live in our environment, and we've done, you know, a decade's worth of research primarily using cultured mouse cells and human cells at the same time. So if your immune system cannot degrade those or if the cells are defective, then they can adapt to the human cells. You won't have it walking down the street, but if you are immune incompetent and you come in contact with blood and body fluids of infected people or people expressing these viruses, that's how the virus becomes transmitted. And as we learned um, also in the XMRV studies for the first time ever, XMRV, the, the, the lab contaminant that's now not in humans, actually can be aerosolized. So it can spread through the lab through aerosolization. Some people, Dr. Mikovits, opine that um, cancer is related to simian monkey virus in polio vaccines. Do you think any of that is at work here? It's absolutely a plausibility. It's a, it's a valid hypothesis that has been prevented from being adequately studied for decades. And on that note, we're going to take a brief break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We will be back with 
Dr. Judy Mikovits and Kent Heckenlively, authors of the book Plague, One Scientist Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases, published by Skyhorse Publishing. We will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you had your CBD today? CBD, or cannabidiol, is a natural part of hemp oil that's making headlines in 2014. Hemp Meds is the world's trusted source for CBD-rich hemp oil because they see total body care as a necessity, not a luxury. Hemp Meds offers premium CBD-rich hemp oils in a variety of ways, from natural hair and skin care to herbal supplements and lifestyle products. And CBD-rich hemp oil is available right now in all 50 states. Quality begins with non-GMO industrial hemp cultivars, grown on family farms using no pesticides, herbicides, or toxic fertilizers. Only with Hemp Meds are you guaranteed consistent, quality, natural CBD-rich hemp oil from Healthy Hemp. There are so many different ways to enjoy CBD-rich hemp oil from Hemp Meds. The only question we have for you is, have you had your CBD today? Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Kent Heckenlively and Dr. Judy Mikovitz, authors of the book Plague. And during the break, um, Dr. Mikovitz wanted me to emphasize that in the title, of the book Plague, uh, we also see, in addition to chronic fatigue syndrome, we see autism, we see other diseases, and Kent, we know that there was this mystifying onset of the spread of chronic fatigue syndrome in the 1980s, but there are all of these other diseases. Is that why you called the book Plague? Yeah, Terry, you know, what I felt like was I needed a word that was large enough to capture the scope of the problem. And as I started thinking about words that might actually adequately capture that, plague just kept coming to mind because there's that idea of a, a horrible plague spreading. But I also thought a little bit more deeply about it in terms of, you know, spiritual matters. And, you know, we talk about the plagues of Exodus, um, visit upon the Egyptians. And I just thought, you know, there is just a terrible litany of diseases that people suffer from that all seem to be uh, sharing similar immune markers. And so the word plague just kept coming to me as, as, with the idea that this is something that people 
need to know about. And uh, we need words to accurately describe the magnitude of this problem. And, and plague being a really terrifying word in our vocabulary, uh, to me, seemed the appropriate word to use for it. Good for you. Good. Okay, and and I know I've uh, given Kent a couple of kudos in this show so far, Dr. Mikovits, and I just also want to uh, commend you for your courage uh, before the rest of the time in our show gets away from us. And now I'd like to ask you, Dr. Mikovits, um, we're going to fast forward to the events around the time of your arrest. You behaved ethically. You, in fact, were helping the long-suffering daughter of Harvey and Annette Whittemore recover from chronic fatigue syndrome. You went to work at the Whittemore Peterson Institute, and at some point in 2011, you cautioned Annette Whittemore about the Whittemore Peterson Institute's retroviral diagnostic test, saying that it wasn't clinically validated and that it should not be sold prematurely. Then what happened? Um, Well, Terry, then um, it it, it actually was at the point in 2011 where we had done the study um, that was known as the blood working group. And what we were looking for is the government jumped in very quickly um, when the paper was published, worried about the blood supply because this was a big problem in the spread of HIV in the early 80s. So they were keen to test, to develop tests since our original study would not um, quickly do a test as, as such when you take blood and, and check the blood supply. We were developing tests um, literally since 2009, participating in studies to develop tests to test the blood supply, exactly the type of test um, that, um, that um, VIPDX was marketing. It was not the Institute um, marketing the test. It was a company owned by Annette um, Harvey Whittemore. Uh, and that test, uh, in the blood working group, I asked that the, um, the test be validated in this blinded study to prove that test would unequivocally detect XMRV, um, which it did not. When that study published um, in the journal Science on September 22nd, um, I was fired within a week of that date for um, saying publicly at the meeting that the test would not be done anymore, and um, the subsequent events um, uh, that that led to my arrest on November 18th, actually, to the day three years ago. Well, I'm not going to give listeners all of the details about the arrest, which are rather remarkable. Listeners are going to have to buy and read the book, and I do recommend this important book. Um, so, Judy, can you please tell us about the various research studies to which you've just alluded concerning the retrovirus and other politics? What do you think were the real politics and rationale leading up to your arrest? Um, exactly, um, as I mentioned, um, the blood working group, the, the negative studies, which in fact, as with Elaine DeFridis' retroviral uh, discovery in 1991, None of the negative studies, replication studies were done appropriately in the appropriate patient population. So uh, the, the politics, I mean, we have to assume everything centers around money, patents, um, uh, culpability. Uh, if, if, if it starts to be shown that uh, this 
uh, that these viruses are in fact rampant in the human population. And I should tell you that the most important part of our 2009 paper and the subsequent studies were that in fact um, 6% between 3.75 in our original study and 6% of the controls of the human population in the United States uh, um, where these studies were done, harbored evidence of this gamma retrovirus, which it, which actually replicated throughout all studies, even though um, in, in the last replication study, known as the Lipton study, uh, detailed in plague, um, that, that it didn't show an association with MECFS. In fact, it did show 6% of America, and that is uh, 10 to 20 million people are infected with the virus that could be associated to autism, CFS, Parkinson's disease, cancers, leukemias, lymphoma, prostate, aggressive breast prostate. Um, it, it is absolutely the doomsday scenario. So the politics um, really was um, to, to shut this down. At the height of HIV AIDS, it was 1 million people. You're talking 20 times that in a healthcare system that, that simply can't handle um, treating all of these people and, and the subsequent health insurance and other benefits. 10 to 20 million people. The things you just said over the past few minutes, I just had chills running up and down me. And Kent, you mentioned earlier in the show a frightened medical profession. Kent, as an attorney, how do you opine that Judy's case was handled differently from what one would expect, and why? And why do you think that is? I think we probably already covered some of that. Do you think that it is congruent with any precedent of vilification of other researchers? Yeah, I, I do, Terry. Uh, it seems that when there are courageous, honest scientists locked, like Dr. Mikovits, that this campaign starts. I've talked about the playbook. Um, in the chronic fatigue syndrome community, there's been a persecution of people like Sarah Myhill. Um, uh, in the autism community also, uh, Dr. Usman. Um, I did a, an interesting series of articles about Dr. John Martin, who was head of the USC microbiology department in the 80s, and he was involved in the chronic fatigue syndrome um, uh, investigations. And he would found evidence of a monkey virus in number of these patients, and, and his lab was shut down, and, and really just terrible things. Um, Judy has mentioned Elaine DeFridis, who was the first to link um, MECFS to a retrovirus and the campaign of persecution against her. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that one of the scientists who I consider one of the greatest of our age, Dr. Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize for his um, identification of the HIV retrovirus, has really been wonderful to the autism community, um, investigating what he thinks is going on, um, and he has been soundly attacked by the medical community. And so what seems to me is that if somebody like Luc Montagnier, who has the Nobel Prize, who is one of the greatest scientists of our age, is attacked for talking to the autism community, um, all that says to me is that there is something that they are very terrified about revealing, and it's not just science against parents or science. It's it, the, What we're really talking about is a civil war inside of science itself. 
Um, they're trying to keep that under wraps because I think if the public really understands that there are honest and ethical scientists who are trying to figure this out, who are subjected to intimidation, um, then, then they lose the game. They lose the whole game. That's why plague is so important because in an objective, fact-based way, I go through the playbook that is used against honest scientists like Dr. Mikovits. It's And, you know, I, it's kind of funny because I, I almost look at this in a mathematical term and like an algorithm. Um, I kind of figure like, you know, maybe 1% of the population has the courage of somebody like Dr. Mikovits. Um, but then what that means is that people like Dr. Mikovits, like Dr. Luke Montagnier, like Elaine DeFridis, are going to keep coming up. And um, this civil war that is going on inside of science um, will become more visible to the public. Well, I like your turn of phrase, Kent, civil war of science inside itself. And we know that there are politics of peer review and funding. Uh, So thank you for presenting this important book in an objective way, an objective presentation of their uh, playbook. I'm going to read another excerpt from the book Plague, which is quoting the writing of the Whittemore's daughter, Andrea. Quote, my name is Andrea Whittemore Goad, she wrote. Until last year, I was uncomfortable telling my story to complete strangers. But now, if this is what it takes for all to understand the severity of this disease, I will. She recounted how, as a young girl, she'd had a poor reaction to a DPT booster and that in fourth grade she came down with a mono-like illness after a tonsillectomy. After the surgery, she had gastrointestinal problems and tachycardia, and none of the doctors could tell her parents what was wrong. But the medical professionals were scared. One psychiatrist told her to get out of her office because she didn't want to catch what Andrea had. Another told her parents that Andrea was school-phobic. She, Andrea, continued, Modest improvement until she decided to enroll at the University of Nevada, Reno. The admission policy required the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccination prior to starting classes. Within five days of the MMR vaccination, Andrea had a severe relapse and never regained her previous level of health. Andrea's Facebook post recounted that her reaction to the MMR vaccination left her confined to a wheelchair. Over the next several years, the family tried numerous strategies to improve Andrea's health without much luck. Until Andrea was 21 and they stumbled upon Ampligen, a substance that acts to stimulate the body's antiviral defenses. Compared to other treatments for Andrea, it was a godsend, a gift she didn't take for granted since she was one of the very few patients with access to the drug under controlled trials. She took Ampligen off and on for eight years. While taking Ampligen, Andrea improved to 75% of her previous levels of energy and stamina, but despite many of the positive outcomes, she continued to fall ill with opportunistic infection. For unknown reasons, Andrea began to develop reactions to Ampligen, making her too sick to continue. In 2006, when Mikovits first started working in Nevada, Andrea was doing relatively well although there were clear indications that Ampligen was producing less than a full recovery. This had also been true of early monotherapy for AIDS, where stumbles and severe relapses often followed improvements. 
Dr. Mikovits, please tell us more of your observations of intersections or contrasts between myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, and AIDS. Uh, well, they're, they're too numerous to count, but you mentioned some of them. Amplogen stimulates the type 1 interferon pathway. Um, so in cancer, certain cancers in AIDS and, and certainly in MECFS, the type 1 interferon pathway, the innate immune response, NK cells, monocytes, um, B cells, your antibodies, often IgG subclass deficiencies, meaning you don't make antibodies to certain classes of pathogens, um, chronic active infections of all kinds um, uh, that that um, you could see in AIDS patients. When, um, when I first went to interview patients, uh, I saw several 13 and um, 18-year-olds with shingles. And, you know, I called up Frank Rossetti and said, uh, Frank, what would you say if I said I was sitting in, in the office here with a 13-year-old with shingles? And, and he said, don't be ridiculous. They'd, they'd be AIDS patients. And I said, exactly. What I saw, the sickness in, in, in Andrea in these patients as I interviewed them that first summer with Dr. Peterson was absolutely amazing. There was no question to me this is a, a non-HIV-acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So you just mentioned shingles, and you also looked into human herpes virus 6, human T-cell leukemia, lymphoma virus 1, and it seems to me from the book that you probably found all of these investigations relevant to cancer, AIDS, chronic fatigue, and autism. Yeah, actually, um, we did a, a viral, what's called a microarray. So we looked at all of the pathogens at once. It was one of the very first things I did was to do an unbiased approach to look at the entire immune system, all of the pathogens, not bias it towards any various thing, and see what came up. These were similar to investigations we'd done in cancer because there, as, as I first saw, the reason I went to Dr. Peterson's uh, office and patient population is they were developing certain rare cancers in an alarming rate. And, and it was very clear to me that um, um, AIDS patients who also develop certain cancers at, at alarming rates that are associated with other viral infections. So you have opportunistic infections because of this acquired immune deficiency, this underlying immune deficiency such that your entire inflammation, the gut abnormalities, they cross-react with what HIV does. In fact, HTLV-1, which um, my mentor, Frank uh, Rossetti, um, isolated first co-discovered, um, causes the uh, dendritic cells, the very earliest cells in the innate immune response, which make type 1 interferon. They are defective. They cannot make type 1 interferon. This is what amplogen does. It teaches your immune system to make type 1 interferon when it's blocked by another virus. A virus wants to persist. So it's going to take out the part of the immune system it needs to take out in order to survive. And so the, everything overlaps, and, and, and we see exactly the same thing in, in autism, cancers, and AIDS. These kids are so sick with every chronic infection you can imagine. And, of course, the methylation defects that I first um, published in 1994 in, in HIV that were directly related to HIV-infected infection. Wow. Well, 
Well, Dr. Mikovits, are you able to share what kind of diagnostic measures and interventions are available to help children and parents affected by a retrovirus? Well, uh, currently, because there's a complete denial that there are any retroviruses, um, you, you certainly can't test for an agent um, that um, no one says exists. Um, um, that's a big problem. If you were looking, you would simply look for reverse transcriptase, and that would capture the expression of all retroviruses. Um, but this isn't a test that's available diagnostically. Certainly, we can look at the immune system. We can look at the um, inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, which I first um, also had been doing in cancer and AIDS and took this technology um, to MECFS as well as autism. And we did that across all our cohorts. Um, so you can look at those de- definite immune defects, which we um, identified. We published a very recent review in a, in a book outlining all of those immune um, defects in MECFS and in, in that w- that were associated with the retroviral infection. And that review, while it doesn't say autism, applies directly to to autism. Um, but those those studies haven't been done yet. And Kent. Can you please uh, continue on Dr. Mikovits's thoughts and please bring this all back around for our listeners? Is autism part of a spectrum of neuroimmune illnesses? How do you feel what we've discussed is most relevant to the autism community and why might listeners be further intrigued by the book Plague? Well, you know, Terry, the thing that struck me at the beginning of this was when Dr. Mikovits had talked about the family studies and saying that the mothers see, who with chronic fatigue syndrome, MECFS, <coughs> excuse me, uh, seem to have this virus as well as their kids with autism. The reason that meant so much to me is I thought about my wife, who as a teenager had very severe psoriasis, which covered about 90% of her body. Um, uh, She's a speech therapist, so she's highly educated, but what she would describe to me is problems in memory and concentration, which are, you know, consistent with uh, a subtle case of chronic fatigue syndrome. And so then here we have a, a child with autism, and I'm thinking... My wife, who is a medical professional, is telling me that there's something subtly wrong in her and that there's something severely wrong with our child. So, and as I have gone out in the autism community, and I think that for the parents who are listening today, um, I think that so many of that, this, it will resonate with them, that, uh, with so many of the mothers and, and maybe with the fathers to say that while you know, most of the autism parents are generally healthy, um, we see that there's some subtle pattern of disease among the parents, um, which, you know, for the environmental, when combined with the environmental factors that we've talked about, you know, is creating this generation of children with autism. So, um, and I think it's, it's more than just the families. I mean, when we look at things like prostate cancer, which is so big, and it, and it seems to be involved with that, if not in causing it, definitely in causing the aggressive types of cancer, which are, are terrifying. This really is something that is important, not just for the autism community, 
but for the entire population. And that's, that's really why, in everything that I put together for this book, I said, how can I design a book and tell a story in a way that is going to reach the greatest number of people? Um, and, and so that's really what I have to say is, is this is this is about all of our health, and it's also about an amazing journey that Dr. Mikevitz has taken. I mean, uh, what had struck me very early on is that here was this honest and ethical scientist who didn't have the benefit that I've had of seeing years of this playbook being used against the autism community, and not really understanding how powerful the forces were. And while I have no problem saying that the forces arrayed against us are powerful, um, I also have no problem saying that they can be beaten, that, that the truth can come out. And, and I, I just have this belief from reading history that, you know, all types of tyrannies eventually fall. And, and this tyranny, which is keeping millions of people sick, is eventually going to fall, and and um, I'm going to be there with the hammer, sledgehammer at the wall, trying to knock it down. Excellent objective, and Kent, where can listeners buy this intriguing and important book, Plague, One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism, and Other Diseases? Terry, they can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and bookstores across the country. It's on Kindle, and very soon we're going to be having an Audible's version. Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, I'd like to thank you, Kent and Judy, for this important book, which, again, I recommend. And I'd like to finish this program with a favorite quote concerning Dr. Mikovits. To Mikovits, the path was a straight line. A scientist should investigate human disease, try to unlock its secrets, and when she does, figure out the quickest course to bring relief to those afflicted. All other issues were of secondary concern. The important question was how to deal with those who were sick now. Anything which kept patients with MECFS a single day longer in their darkened rooms which kept children with autism from being able to speak the thoughts that flashed through their overexcited brains or that put an honest scientist in jail could only go by a simple name, evil. Thank you for listening to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.